Mariam Bialik, and you're listening to Five Questions with Dan Shabell. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Shabell. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is actress, neuroscientist, and author, Mayim Bialik. Mayim is best known as the star of the sitcoms Blossom and The Big Bang Theory. She won the Critics' Choice Television Award for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series in 2015 and 2017. More recently, she's the host of the Mayim Bialik's Breakdown Podcast and star of Call Me Cat. We talk about these projects, her childhood, and career in this podcast episode. Mayim, welcome to Five Questions. Thank you for having me. What qualities did you have at age 11 that indicated to your parents that you could be an actress, and how did they support you? I was annoying and persistent. They were not looking to get me involved in acting. I was good at school plays, meaning I wasn't afraid to audition and kept bothering them. I did have a very distinctive ability to mimic well. My dad was a drama teacher. He wasn't my drama teacher, but I'm assuming, you know, maybe he saw something in my my performance level that indicated that maybe I had, you know, some potential, but nobody thinks like their kid's going to get their own TV show when they start acting. So it was a surprise to us all. No, it's that built and they Uh keep noticing things. They see your effort and then they start believing and believing more and get that conviction. In college, you majored in neuroscience and modern Hebrew and Jewish studies. How have you incorporated your education into your acting roles, projects, and nonprofit ventures? The process of going to college is its own experience that I think is is very important. It's not for everybody, but for me, that process of of maturing outside of my parents' home was really important for me and, and, and formative. I grew up going to public school and considered myself a, a, a pretty well-traveled person. I'd been a lot of different places and seen a lot of different parts of this country and, and aspects of the world. But, you know, until you're really interacting with people and, and kind of seeing how people function and seeing how they function under stress. And, you know, those are experiences. I also went to UCLA. I went to a, a very fine public university. And I went at a time when conversations about affirmative action and take back the night and these kinds of conversations about women's rights and, and rights for minority students was was kind of just starting to bubble to the surface. So I I learned a lot in that time that made me the person that I am. Those experiences, you know, allowed me to see a side of people and academia that that impacted me. And some of those experiences were positive and some were negative, but that all kind of makes us who we are. You know, I always tell everyone, have a service job when you're younger, because you learn the most important skill in life is how to deal with people. And people are Correct. very different in order to interact with them and, and influence them and befriend them. It takes kind of a different skill in adapting your Absolutely. behavior to that. And in your podcast, you use your PhD in neuroscience, your personal experience and special guests to break down mental health. What have been some of your own mental health struggles and how has the show helped you cope with them? I like to point out that it's not a celebrity show where like, I've figured it out and here's what I did and you should do it too and you'll be happy like me. It's really like I've struggled a lot. I still have struggles and challenges, even though I am currently on medication. I go to therapy. I meditate. I do all these things. There are still challenges. And for some of us with a genetic predisposition to certain kinds of challenges, it can be more trying than it is for others. I've tried, you know, since I started going to therapy at 17, you know, I've been put on probably about two different dozen medications. Ultimately, I had a a very rough adolescence in terms of hormones and stress hormones and the way my body and, and mind was reacting 
into certain aspects of my existence. Um, I come from a, a family with mental illness on both sides of my family. I grew up experiencing anxiety and depression before we even knew what that was called. Had a lot of different things and have, have been through a lot and continue to go through a lot. I'm a person with a, a tremendous amount of anxiety, a lot of which I do choose to not medicate and I, I choose other ways to deal with it. And I also have been very open about having an eating disorder and I, I choose to use a 12-step program um, as a method for managing that. And that overlaps a lot with mental health. It's about acceptance, it's about management and knowing that it's going to be with you in some form or another for the rest of your life. So Correct. you have to you know, accept it and, and kind of embrace that that's part of who you are. Correct. And the good news is unlike previous generations, now people like you are talking about mental health in the way in which people didn't before. They didn't even know what oh, it was. Sure. The good thing that's happening now is it's destigmatizing, but it's still very early. And I think eventually Absolutely. as more people speak out and it becomes more commonplace than if you're living in New York, I was living in New York for five years before COVID saying you have a therapist is everyone has a therapist, whereas <laughs> in other parts of the country, maybe not so much. So well, and I think COVID really showed us like, oh, you can have an online existence that supports your mental health. You know, the notion of online therapy and even online 12 step groups has really changed a lot of the ways a lot of us viewed our access to mental health. And to me, it, it is a human right to have access to mental health. It shouldn't just be something that rich people get to have. Agree. And I think what you're saying before with connecting with people who don't look and sound like you or come with different backgrounds, plus suffering from mental health, your degree of empathy is got to be very high, you know, because if anyone's suffering, you can immediately say, well, I've been suffering too, or I've met someone like you. So it makes you much more relatable and allow you to build stronger connections. What can we learn from the character you play in your show, Call Me Cat, about being happy despite having life struggles? Call Me Cat has been a really pleasant aspect of my career. I'm 45. My character is 39. We're trying to show that sometimes life isn't what you planned, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an aspect to enjoying it. And the notion is not like, oh, forget about all your struggles or don't think about it or don't worry because th that's overly simplistic. Um, and our show, we're, we're trying to show a little bit of that nuance. You know, this is a woman who gives up an unfulfilling career and does the things she always wanted to do. And honestly, I've heard from a lot of people that this last year or so has made them realize that there are things they want to do that they weren't doing. And so our character, you know, just coincidentally with the time that we premiered, our character is showing that it is worth something to um, to live the life that you feel passionate about as opposed to the one that you're supposed to have. And that can apply to dating. It can apply to career. It can apply to body type, you know? Um, so there's a lot of different aspects of her that's been a lot of fun to explore. It's the great opportunity and also the great challenge because a lot of people today are looking at social media and TikTok and everything and saying, oh, well, I think people expect this of me or in terms of your parents or friends or trying to be like other people, it's very easy to get swayed and, and go in different directions that are not authentic to you because you're seeing all this constantly if you're plugged into this technology. And I think that if we can take a step back and be more present and thoughtful about where we want to go and what our needs are, that we can live a more fulfilling life. Absolutely. And what's your best piece of career advice? One of the most important ones is pay attention to how people treat their assistants and the people who take out the trash. You will learn... I think the most about a person, especially a person that you're looking to admire or looking to have hire you, you will learn a lot about them by how they treat their assistant and how they treat the people who take out the trash. Yeah. People who have less power than them, basically, Correct. you know, are they going to treat them with respect or not? You know, I hear this a lot from my friends and people I meet, if they're at a restaurant and someone doesn't treat like the waiter, okay, wow. they judge them based on that. 
that's that's pretty common. Really in any career, but in particular in Hollywood and, and in academia, and I would argue in the corporate world, um, it's very easy for someone to sweet talk you and to sound like a wonderful person. But the way that they treat that person who takes the trash out and who's cleaning up, to me, that's a measure really of who they are as a human and not just who they are as um, someone I want to look up to or, or work with. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Mayim. To follow her journey, you can listen to the Mayim Bialik's Breakdown podcast and find her on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, where she shares her latest conversations, friends, social causes, and appearances. To watch the full extended video version of this episode, go to youtube.com slash Dan And please remember to rate and review the Five Questions podcast on iTunes. Mm-hmm.